You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Okay, there we go. Um, we're going to read today from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you, Allison. I love to preach. I love to, to get into God's Word. But I've realized over the years that oftentimes um, a real dynamic and powerful message uh, comes through someone's personal experience, someone's personal walk. And uh, so I, I'm going to talk to you about repentance here in just a few moments. But I've asked Yvette Christian to come up and share with you what has happened for her through this 21 days of prayer and fasting. So if you will, let's, uh, let's welcome Yvette to come and speak to us for just a moment. Um, first off the bat, I want to say thank you to God for allowing our church to come together and the pastors to um, call us all uh, for a time of prayer and fasting. Um, and I want to say that I'm not here to put myself or my family on a pedestal, but I'm here to share what happened to me had, as we embark on this journey of fasting and praying. Um, when the pastor called the whole church to fast, this past December 28, um, for me, I was very excited, not so much about the fasting, but about the fact that we didn't have to wait for the first of the year to start the ritual. I mean, for me, 
every first January. I had so many re- resolutions. I will be praying more. I'll be fasting more, only to find myself back to where I was before. So I was quite um, excited about starting before the first of the year. But little did I know that this journey was going to be quite profound and a life-changing experience for me. Um, I haven't left the church. I was here. I, haven't, I did not backslide and went back into the world. I was still here. However, I found myself in a very dry and empty place to where I felt as if I had boxed God and made him so little to where the issues of this world were overwhelming to me. And um, I think one night here at Harp and Bowl, for you guys who are not plugged in anything, Harp and Bowl would be a wonderful place to start. And here at Harp and Bowl, my heart was so, so heavy. I cried and I wept. And I cried because I just felt as if God has lost his grip on me and his grip on the world. And I kept asking, where are you? There are people dying everywhere. And especially with the Boko Haram in Africa, not too far from where I'm from, that was hard. And I struggled with that. And um, last Friday, or Friday the 9th, the first time we had live uh, group this year, in our live group I was prompted by um, Andrew's question, about where are you with this time of fasting? What is God revealing to you? How is God is challenging you? And uh, I was prompted to share where I was with my walk with God. At first, I did not want to go too deep. I didn't want to be very open. I didn't want to be very honest. I did not want to be vulnerable. However, I was prompted by the Holy Spirit to do it. So I opened up my heart and I shared where I was how empty and how I've gone through the motions here at church, how I, I had, I was filled with unbelief. I did not feel God. However, I kept praying and I kept reading the word of God. And as we started praying and fasting and praying more, I heard God asking me, Um, he said, since you've detached yourself from me, how is it going for you? And I said, not very well. And this is what I heard. Um, He said in Revelation 2, 4 to 5, he told me that I have forsaken my first love, and that I shall remember the heights from which I have fallen. He asked me to repent and to do the things I did when I first became a Christian. I was deeply challenged, and I shared that with my husband. And, uh, and I shared that with my life group as well. And in my life group, I was uh, challenged to go a little deeper, and I was very open. And on that day, I found freedom. I started walking in victory. I started walking in a deeper knowledge and understanding of who God is. And that has not only been for me, it has been for my family. 
And uh, I think we were praying um, Thursday or Monday, one of the nights. Roy has been shepherding that in our family to what he's calling us to praying more. And um, I was prompted there to, to open up to my children and ask for forgiveness. If you know anything about me, I strive for perfection. But perfection is an illusion. And my perfect is not your perfect. It's not your definition of perfection. And I push my kids very hard. Not only here, sorry. Not only here at church, but also in everything they do. They are great kids. And um, their best was never good enough for me. And that's also for my upbringing to her. But that, okay. I had to repent to my children for doing that. And I told them, your best is always good enough for God, and that's who you need to please. And uh, I had to repent to my husband for not respecting and bear with me. I need to do this. For not respecting and honoring him. I, have, I wasn't outright on disrespectful, but I am very strong-willed. And I thank God for giving me a strong man to hold me down. I truly believe that had I married a weaker man, I would be finding myself to the door of hell. Truly, my husband has been the steady force in my life, holding me back and allowing me to see my faults, not always accusing me, but loving me for who I am and allowing me to move forward with God. So we did that, and it was a wonderful experience. Can I have some tissue, Pastor Bill? So... uh, Last Thursday, has, um, I repented first, and uh, I asked my children, and we were praying, and I asked them, have you noticed a change? Sorry. Have you noticed a change in mommy at all? They all said yes. Of course, Benaya always follows what Stephen says, so he said yes. And, so he, and Stephen said, mommy, you are more calmer. You are not always angry, and you are respectful. And uh, on Thursday night, my daughter, after school, as we were um, finishing up our praying time, she said, Mommy, I would like to talk to you when you talk me in bed tonight. So when we were done, I walked into her bedroom, and I said, What's up? And she said, Can I talk to you? I thought, Well, she's 11 She's growing. She must have a menstrual cycle, and I don't want to hear about it. (laughs) And I told Roy about it. I said, I think it's the talk. So I walked in there, and she said, I needed to talk to you. And um, she said, Mommy, I'm struggling at school because there are some mean girls, and I don't think I've always been nice to them. And she said this. He said, Mommy, can God 
She said, Mommy, can God do can God do in me what he did in you? That's the most rewarding. As I said, I'm not here to put myself on a pedestal. I'm just here to encourage each of you. I never did leave the church, but God is calling us to a higher level. And uh, she said, can God do in me what he did in you? And I said, of course, sweetie, he can do it. And we started praying for her friends. The next day, she came back home and said, Mommy, he started doing it. Today was much better. She said, can we keep praying? And we've been doing that. Uh, I think the first place God is going to move in your life will be in your family, will be with your children, will be the way you interact with your husband. And for me, to one of the points I received as I was fasting and praying, and I read a book um, called... You have to sanitize this when you're done. <laughs> so uh, during this time of fasting, I was also reading a book titled Gospel-Powered Parenting. And as I read this and everything else that I shared with you, this has been an eye-opener for me, and I, I encourage everybody, parents, grandparents, to read it. And that's really where God is calling us back. We women to align ourselves with the word of God and for men to rise up and claim and take their rightful place back in their families and back in the church. Men are leaders and that's what God is calling us to do. And for our church, that's how the church is going to grow if we empower our men to do what God has called them to do. That's a heavenly mandate and God is calling you all men to rise up and do it. Thank you so much to our pastors for being obedient to the Holy Spirit and allowing all the church to go through this. If no one else, our family, my family, have been tremendously blessed in this time. And I thank my husband and my kids for being open and patient with me. Thank you. We will, um, we will have some other testimonies and, and times of exhortation from people as we go along in this coming first part of the year. And a lot of it, I, I'm sure, will come out of this time of prayer and fasting. Um, I fully am convinced that for us to be able to be as missional as God is calling us to be in this neighborhood and around the world... It is going to require of all of us a, a strong sense of searching, um, a, an intensity of letting God deal with, with any issues that are in our lives that we need to deal with uh, so that we can be more effective, so that we can uh, go deeper with God. And, 
I don't want you to be afraid of that. I don't want you to look at that in the, um, in the wrong kind of way, okay? Uh, so I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about repentance. And I want us to, to, to try to understand what repentance is and how it needs to work in our lives and what is the dynamic of repentance in this season of life church. Um, we're all about mission. We're all about Christian growth at Life Church. Um, and I want us to look at how we can kind of create this dynamic. It's, it's sort of like a cycle in our lives that, that results in this sort of like supernatural maturity, uh, you know, this sort of character change that needs to be happening. It needs to be ongoing. And it needs to be like, sort of like a combustion cycle. It needs to give us energy. It needs to, to, to move us. So it, it is. It's, it's a dynamic. It's like a motor uh, that, that gets us going, all right? It gets, gets to the heart of our, our faith. And, uh, and, and when it's going, when it's, when it's moving, then there's growth, there's progress. Uh, but when it's not, then there's no growth, there's no progress, something like what Yvette was describing of her own experience. Um, and so uh, I think that there's, a, there, there's kind of two parts of this cycle or this dynamic. And, and one is faith, obviously, but the other, I think, is repentance. And I think that we need to, we need to maybe reframe repentance right here in this season for Life Church and see it a little bit differently, okay? Um, because we have been raised with Christ. And we do belong to Christ, as this passage says here, all right? And so we are to set our mind on things above. We are to look to those things that are, are godly, those things that are spiritual, if you will, and not be so mindful of the things of this earth or of this world. We are not of this world. And we need to, to hold very loosely our grip on the things of this world, whether that's our money or our career or... Uh, whatever we, we are taking a hold of, and it is, it is in essence, um, taking care of us or, or meeting needs in our lives, all right? Um, in this passage that, that Allison read, uh, he's saying here, you've, you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where you live. You live in God. Uh, and yet we're all finding ourselves being called out by the Spirit uh, on issues and things in our lives and struggles that we have, we have gone through or habitual sins that have, have messed with us over a period of time. And I think that oftentimes we as Christians get into this mindset that repentance is an ugly place we have to go because there we have to look at our ugly piece of sin and then we have to do some kind of really uh, depressing act uh, of, of confession and uh, turning away and, uh, and, then, and then God won't be mad with us anymore and, and God won't be mean to us and we'll finally get blessed or something. And a lot of us, we live that way. We, we live out of that kind of messed up thinking, if you will. Let me read a couple of things to you here um, and, and see if they kind of resonate with you a little bit. The first one is, is uh, just a paragraph from uh, Tim Keller uh, called Rejoicing and Repentance. Rejoicing and re most of us don't say those two words together. Rejoicing and repentance for a lot of us is not something we put together, all right? But listen to this. Rejoicing and repentance must go together. 
Repentance without rejoicing will lead to despair. Rejoicing without repentance is shallow and will only provide passing inspiration instead of deep change. Indeed, it is when we rejoice over Jesus' sacrificial love for us most fully that paradoxically we are most truly convicted of our sin. See, we have this idea that we can't, we can't be convicted if we're happy. And then a lot of you have this idea behind that, that but if I'm happy, I'm probably sinning. When we repent of our fear of consequences, we are not really sorry for the sin, but we are sorry for ourselves. Wow. Fear-based repentance... In other words, I'd better change or God will get me. It's really self-pity. In fear-based repentance, we don't learn to hate the sin for itself. And it, it doesn't lose its attractive power to us. This is why some of us keep going back again and again and again to the same sin. We learn only to refrain from it for our own sake. Oh, I can't. I, I need to stop doing that. I, I need to quit doing that. I'm going to get in trouble, or God's going to expose me, or God's going to stop blessing me. Or oh, oh, There's all kinds of crazy things we say. But when we rejoice, folks, when we are rejoicing over God's sacrificial, suffering love for us, seeing what it cost Him to save us from sin, folks, we learn to hate sin at that point. We, we learn to hate sin for what it is and what it does in that it separates us from God. We see what sin costs God. So what most assures us, folks, of, of this, this unconditional love, this costly death of Jesus, that is what helps to convict us of the evil of sin. Fear-based repentance, one writer says, makes us hate ourselves. Joy-based repentance makes us hate the sin. And that's where I want us to get to. I don't want us to be living in this sort of down, despairing, depressed place of, well, I'm just constantly having to look at my sin. I'm constantly having to look at the things that are wrong about me, and I hate all of this about me, but never getting anywhere, never moving beyond that place, being stuck like Yvette and so many others of us are. This, this thing of repentance needs to be something that we're embracing and it's ongoing all the time. Uh, that that we're, we're constantly dealing with these things. We're putting to death what is earthly in us. And, and, and those things were listed. Allison read those things to you today, many of them. Okay, So we, we need to be doing this. But it needs to be happening all the time. Listen to uh, a, a, a paragraph by John Calvin, uh, which has been entitled, uh, The Race of Repentance. The Lord is pleased completely to restore all those he adopts to the inheritance of life. And this restoration is not accomplished in a single moment or a day or a year, but by continual and sometimes even tardy advances. The Lord destroys the carnal corruption of his chosen, purifies them from all pollution, and consecrates them as temples to himself renewing all their senses of real purity that they may employ their whole life. You ready for this? That they may employ their whole life in the exercise 
of repentance. And know that this warfare will be terminated only by death. I assert that as far as any man approaches to a resemblance of God, so far the image of God is displayed in him. And this, that believers may attain to this, God assigns them the race of repentance to run during their whole life. Folks, we've got to get to the place where we are not dreading to come into one or two or three sermons a year where we talk about grappling sins and then we all have to deal with them in some repentant way only to not fully repent, only to try to escape something that we don't feel like we want to experience that may be painful or ugly or or depressing or intimidating or convicting or, or shaming or whatever. And, and begin to live not out of religious repentance, but to live out of gospel repentance, which is an ongoing, all-the-time kind of dynamic that is saying, I'm daily and I'm constantly putting to death these things that are of the world that I am battling and I am struggling with. And that there is a joy in this because I am seeing these things as things that are contrary to my God who has given His Son for me and paid the price for this. And so now I long to be free of these things. Not just escape punishment or escape embarrassment or escape shame. So let's, let's try to look at this a little bit, all right? When Martin Luther nailed the, the, the 95 Theses to the, the Wittenberg door to, to start the Protestant Reformation, um, which was honestly, you know, one of the watersheds of, of, of the history of the world, not just the Christian world. But, but the first thesis was, all of life is repentance. All of life is Repentance. And, and, and I think that that's coming out in Colossians here a little bit. It's, I think it's actually sort of shouting to us here that this is what you've got to do. You have constantly got to take that old man out, our old woman out, all right? You, you've got to constantly be diligently working at this thing because this old man, this old woman keeps trying to come in. So don't do these things here, seeing, seeing that the old is, is, is not you. And I think that this, this statement of Luther here can be gravely misunderstood by the church, by the Christian church today anyway, because uh, it, it seems the average Christian believes that repentance is something for the bad times. Or if the bad times have happened, now we need to repent. We don't even know what we're going to repent for. So, so I'm hearing people say, we've we got we to go back and we've got to restore things here for America. So uh, the Bible says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and repent of their sins, then I will hear from heaven. And then they pray and there's no real sense of what they are repenting for. It's just like, well, it's bad time, so we need to repent. Well, what are we repenting for? What's, what's going on? See, I think the Holy Spirit is very insightful, very smart. 
has the mind of God as a part of the triune Godhead and is capable of pointing a finger right into where your world really is and tell you exactly what is going on in truth and light and let you see it in such a way that you see it under the gospel lens and you know that as you are looking at this sin, you are seeing a Savior who has died for you. This isn't some God who is punitive, who's going around trying to find your sin and go, ah, I knew it, sucker. No. This is a God who's saying you ought not to be this way because this is who you are. I've... I've put an unbelievable value on you because my son has died for your sin. Now go and repent and sin no more. Wow. It's a different way of looking at this thing. So so let's consider if we can, all right? Because because I think think what Luther is really saying, and and, and when you first read that little statement, it does. It it looks a little bleak here. But I think Luther is is saying that, that Christians will never make much progress in life without repentance. Luther's point is repentance is the way we make progress in this life. It is the way we mature. It is the way we grow. It is, in essence, the way we are discipled in some, in, in some aspects. So, so I think we see that, that this sort of pervasive all-of-life repentance is the best sign that we're growing deeply and rapidly into the character of Jesus. So when I hear things like what Yvette is going through, and, and, and there's more down here. Now, all of you can't go wandering through these pages all right you just drop your paper in there and move right along okay all right so you don't you don't get to go in there but it, but I, I i'm going in there i've been in there and I've, I've been going in there and this is happening to people all through life church there is this thing that god is doing right now and he is helping people uh graciously and gently see their sin in order that they may repent of it And that is a wonderful maturing process. That excites me about Life Church. You know what? That excites me more than getting $331,000. We just got to figure out what to do with the resources that God has given us. But I'll tell you what, I'm more convinced that the validation that God is about to do something through Life Church that is tangible and significant in the neighborhood and beyond is because He's getting our hearts ready for that. He is bringing all of us into this this place of, of... I think this dynamic of gospel repentance, if, if, if I can say it that way, all right? So let's consider how, that, how, how the gospel as a lens affects and, and, and transforms how we see repentance here. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm going to look at it in, in two ways here, all right? And, 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 and for, the, for the purpose of this, I'm going to use two terms. One is religious repentance and the other um, is gospel repentance, if you will, all right? Um, and, and, and I'm going to tell you right out, I, I think that, that religious repentance is, is a bad thing. I don't think it's good for you. I think it's selfish. I think it's self-centered. I think it's, it, it's, it's contrary to what God wants for us. I think it's self-righteous. I think it's just, it, it's just not good at, at all. And, and I think that, that, that in the gospel, though, we, we, we find the purpose of repentance and we were able there to tap in then to the joy of our relationship with Jesus. You know, sin, sin is confessed, but it doesn't separate. 
Unrepentant sin does. It keeps us from God. It separates. But when we move in, in true gospel repentance, that, that joy of that experience draws us in, draws us to God. So let me just talk for a, a minute or two here about, about this, this repentance, okay? First of all, I think that religious repentance is very selfish. In, in, in religion, okay, in religion, we're sorry for sin, um, but only because of the consequences for us. Sin, sin will bring us punishment if we're only thinking religiously about it, okay? And, and, and we want to avoid that, so we repent. I don't want to get caught. I don't want to be punished. I don't want to be exposed. I don't, I don't want to go to hell. The gospel, however, tells us that Christians... Sin can't ultimately bring us in, in, into to, to condemnation. Look at Romans chapter 8. Just, just turn, if you will, in, in your Bible to Romans chapter 8. And, and, and let me give you a scripture that's probably familiar to most of you very much so. And you've probably said it many times when you were feeling a little bit bad. But, but let's just let's really let it like drop into us this morning, all right? Speaking to you who are Christians who, who need to repent, th- th- there is therefore now no, no, none, nada, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, over in that passage in Colossians, we were told that we are where? In God, in Christ, all right? That's you and I. So we are in the Lord, all right? So, so it's heinous, if you will, uh, uh, to, 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 to look at it in the wrong way here, I think, all right? Um, because it does something to God. Sin does something to God. And we don't want to repent in such a fashion that we, uh, we frustrate the, the, the graces of God. Because I, I believe that sin displeases God. I believe that sin dishonors God. I believe that sin can separate us from God. But we have got to get through. We have got to get on the other side. And, and, and we don't do that in the place of religious repentance where we're just trying to escape judgment or escape punishment. This is about a relationship. This is about us, us coming together. It's not about us. It's about God and what He has done for us to draw us to Him, to bring us in to Him. And that's where we want to land. We want to land in Jesus. And here's the problem. One of the problems is that sometimes we repent and we keep repenting because we're religiously repenting. We're trying to escape something. We're trying to, to get out of something. It's, it's all about us. And so we keep doing this over and over and over and we stay stuck there and we never really come into a fuller or deeper relationship with Christ. So, so in religion, repentance is very self-centered. The gospel makes it gospel. God-centered or gospel-centered, Jesus-centered, all right? So in religion, we're mainly sorry for the consequences of our sin, but in the gospel, we're sorry for the sin itself. And so we, we deal with the sin. Religious repentance can also be quite self-righteous. I mean, this, this is, this is, this is a, a tall order that, 
that we're given here, all these things to, to focus on and turn away from and all of that. And, and I'm, not try, I'm, I'm not trying to set you up to, to some of the things like Yvette has struggled with, with, with her kind of perfection. We all probably have some level of perfection that we think is for us, and we all probably have lists where we tick off certain things. I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do it this way, that way. And so it, it's important to me, and that, that makes me okay, or, or that makes me right. That is all self-righteousness. That, are, that is acts of works that we are doing constantly to try to be saved, okay? Um, but I think that this religious repentance can create self-righteousness. Repentance can easily, easily turn into an attempt to atone uh, for one's sin. Uh, and, you know, so, sort of like a, some form of, of um, uh, beating oneself or, or, or inflicting pain upon oneself. We, we, we mess up some things. Like you, you hear pastors talk about, well, in this particular passage, Paul is saying, I beat myself daily, or I flog myself daily, which I, I, I get, I understand that. You know. But it isn't so that someone will feel sorry for him. What he's saying is, I, I push down this old man. I push down this old sin nature. I, I move it out of me. So that it is not controlling me. It, it doesn't have the opportunity to have life. I don't feed it. I don't breathe life into it. So I'm constantly beating that old man talked about here down. All right. But that doesn't. He's not saying, hey, I, I, I do enough self-inflicting pain. And some of you might do that physically. But a lot of you do it mentally or emotionally to yourselves. And and and. It gets labeled some way as some type of repentance, if you will, all right? But I'm telling you that that is not, we cannot convince God, we cannot even honestly convince ourselves that we are so truly miserable enough and that everything is so regretful enough that we deserve to be forgiven. That doesn't work. You don't deserve to be forgiven. This is an unmerited love act on the part of God to redeem you out of your sinfulness. You deserve death for your sin, as does everyone else. But we repent, understanding this great gift of God. And, and in humility, we bow ourselves to him. And so we simply receive the forgiveness earned by Christ. It's not anything I can do. It's not anything you can do. God forgives us because he is just to do so. He is faithful to do so. And that's a remarkable thing, I think. All right? It, it would be unjust of God to ever deny us forgiveness because Jesus has earned it for us. And so that's where we land here, not in our ability or our self-righteousness or, or, or our works or whatever. In religion, we try to earn our forgiveness with our repentance. In the gospel, we simply receive it. And that makes it a beautiful gift. And we don't taint it. We don't mess it up. All right? Um, I think that religious re- repentance is, 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 a, is a bitter drink, if you will. All right? Um, you know, if, if, if our religion, if our, if, our, if our formation is only that we hope to live a good life, uh, enough to sort of like require God to bless us, um, then in, in, in that case, every instance of sin and repentance is, is going to be in some way odd or, or tainted. It may even be traumatic. It may, be un, it may even feel unnatural to you in some way. It may be threatening to you, all right? You should never feel that you are under some kind of duress to repent. 
you don't live in this condemnation because you are not there. You live in, in this faith in Jesus Christ having died for your sins. And then when the Holy Spirit taps you and reveals to you places of sin in your life, you are capable then, out of the gospel, to go to Jesus. Come boldly to the throne of grace. And so, so, so you, don't ha- you, you don't have to feel these other things in your life. And no one should make you feel this way. Preaching should not make you feel that way. All right? It should not be a bitter drink. It should be an amazingly refreshing drink to repent. It should should be accompanied by joy. And I know many of us are not there yet, all right? But, But the thing about in religion, we tend to repent less and less often. But as we feel more loved and more accepted in the gospel... Repentance is more natural. It's the more natural outflow. I need to repent because I know how much I'm loved and I know how much my sin hurts God. And so I, I stand in that place. And so we're going to have to, I'm going to have to close here, but I, I, want you, I just want you to understand that, that this, this gospel, all right, uh, repentance. Here's what, here's what I think will happen for you as, as you, and we can talk about this more again another time, but, but I think what's going to happen for you as you are repenting of places in your life and you are overcoming sins uh, as, as the Holy Spirit sheds light on them, um, you're going to find yourself, if you're in the gospel, in your repentance, all right? If, if this is, 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 is being spirit-led and, and Christ-centered, you're going to be walking in a deep humility that is going to crush the pride that will cause you to resist repentance. You're going to, you're going to have a great deal more courage than anxiety. It's not going to be upsetting and disturbing to you. There's actually courage to step out. I guarantee you that, that there were some shaky moments for Yvette today and even more shaky in her life group when she shared with them. But as God moved on her and as she shared, she got greater courage as she went along. And all of us can do that. And it's amazing how many of you have come into David and I's office in the last two weeks to tell us about things that you would never have told us before 21 days of prayer and fasting. Because the Holy Spirit is leading you in that. And and, in a gospel-centered repentance, you're able to to have courage and wisdom to bring these things forth. All right? And I believe that you will find yourself burning in love for God as you're repenting. Rather than being indifferent. I appreciate the... The, the reference in Revelations. Because I'm going to tell you what, for you and I, and I think it comes very much down to this one area here that I'm talking about right now, a, a, a burning love in our heart. We'll never love this neighborhood or any other neighborhood in any other place in the world if we have not experienced that kind of love that God has for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that love turns and is given out from us. And so I want to challenge you and I that we are living in that kind of love. And there are ways that, that maybe we can help you. 
um, to understand how to repent of some of these things. But the key is that you're repenting in the, in, through, through the right way or the right perspective, if you will, of understanding repentance. And there's so much that you can do in terms of studying repentance through the Scriptures. And I would encourage you, now that you're done with 21 days of fasting, you obviously have a whole lot of time to do something else. So you need to, to be able to, to do that. Just, just get into a study of repentance now. Uh, study the Word, study the Scriptures that pertain to repentance. Uh, and, but don't just study it. Then uh, make it a process. Work with it and, 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 and apply it, okay? I want to read from one other person today, and then we're going to be done here. And I want to pray for you, and then we'll hear the gospel. Um, this is taken from um, a writing of C.S. Lewis. It's, this little section is from a book, The Silver Chair. And um, I love the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, this, this particular little segment is, is entitled, There Is No Other Stream. Just listen for a moment. Although the sight of water made her feel ten times thirstier than before, she didn't rush forward and drink. She stood as still as if she had been turned into stone with her mouth wide open. And she had a very good reason. Just on this side of the stream lay the lion. It lay with its head raised and its two forepaws out in front of it, like the lions in Trafalgar Square. She knew at once that it had seen her, for its eyes looked straight into hers for a moment and then turned away, as if it knew her quite well and didn't think much of her. If I run away, it'll be after me in a moment, thought Jill. And if I go on, I shall run straight into its mouth. Anyway, she couldn't have moved if she had tried. And she couldn't take her eyes off it. How long this lasted, she could not be sure. It seemed like hours. And the thirst became so bad that she almost felt she would not mind being eaten by the lion. If only she could be sure of getting a mouthful of water first. If you're thirsty, you may drink. They were the first words she had heard since Scrub had spoken to her on the edge of the cliff. For a second, she stared here and there, wondering who had spoken. And then the voice said again, If you are thirsty, come and drink. And of course, she remembered what Scrub had said about animals talking in that other world and realized that it was the lion speaking. Anyway, she had seen its lips move this time, and the voice was not like a man's. It was deeper, wilder, and stronger, a sort of heavy, golden voice. It did not make her any less frightened than she had been before, but it made her frightened in a rather different way. Are you not thirsty? said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to 
do anything to me if I do come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. Folks, there is no other way but the gospel. There is no other way to get around this thing but to repent of our sins and to follow Christ. There's no other fountain to drink from, no other stream to get water from, no other waterfall to refresh in, no other lake to immerse in. It is only Christ, the living water, that we can come to. And there we must repent and be born again. 